So you're going to be pleased, I guess, if you're tired and you've been out in the sun all day, that I'm not going to be speaking for a massive length of time this evening. Um, but just as we look at this last chapter of John, I just want to bring out two things, um, which I think John, John wants us to see. So um, first, Christ-shaped forgiveness, what that looks like. And then secondly, um, what, a, what a Christ-shaped future looks like. So first, uh, Christ-shaped forgiveness. I think the, the story in, the, uh, in chapter 21 is pretty simple up to sort of uh, 15. It's kind of just a straightforward um, story of what happened. So you can see the list of the disciples there in verse 2. They decide to go fishing. Um, this is sort of, it's in between um, Jesus' death and, the, and Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples. So um, uh, you see, I guess the disciples are sort of wondering what to do. They're, they've gone back to their old lives. They've gone fishing, um, seem to be in some sort of uh, limbo. Um, and so they, they get into the boat, um, they work all night, uh, and they, they catch nothing. Um, Jesus appears uh, then on the shore, doesn't he, and, and asks if they've, they've caught anything. Um, they can't recognize, they don't, well, they don't recognize him, and uh, they just reply no <laughs> uh, in a very short answer. Um, but if you if you know your New Testament, you've seen this before, um, and the disciples have seen this before as well, because in Luke chapter 5, uh, Jesus performs this very same miracle. He tells them to, to cast their net on the other side of their boat. Um, they do that, and uh, they catch, um, what is it, 153 large fish, right? Counted every single one. Um, John, the, the disciple who Jesus loved, uh, and, and the writer of the book obviously recognizes uh, this is a miracle. So, oh, I've, we've been here before, haven't we, guys? That, that must be Jesus. Peter gets excited, doesn't he? Um, he weirdly gets dressed, then jumps into the sea um, to the, swim to the shore. Uh, the others uh, pull the boat uh, ashore, and they find Jesus um, on the shore, like cooking breakfast. Um, I get, there's clearly something different about Jesus, isn't he? I guess in his resurrection body, there's some sort of like, particularly in verse 12, you can see the disciples are like, oh, is, is this Jesus? Is this not? It definitely looks like him. Um, after, after breakfast, Jesus um, turns to Peter uh, and we, we hear the conversation they have uh, in front of uh, the other disciples from verse 15 onwards. Um, so it's worth sort of pausing and thinking about. This is probably, or certainly the first recorded time that Peter and Jesus have, have sort of had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with each other since Jesus spoke to Peter in the upper room um, prior to his death in, in chapter 13, which I guess we looked at a few weeks ago now. Um, uh, you don't have to turn there now, but back in chapter 13, um, Jesus is in the, uh, the upper room before his um, arrest, and crucifixion, he just, and he tells, he's telling the disciples, um, I'm going to leave you. Um, and, uh, and Peter stands up and says, no, 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 no matter what, I'm, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Um, however, Jesus tells him emphatically that actually he's not going to follow him. Um, and, and sort of kind of the total opposite, right? He's, he's, he's going to deny him deny knowing him at all three times before uh, the cock crows. Um, and then 
from chapter 13, if you swing, swing forward into chapter 18, Jesus is arrested, just like he says. Uh, Peter follows, and uh, before uh, the cock crows, sure enough, Peter denies Jesus three times, doesn't he? Jesus knew it was going to happen. Um, but nonetheless, Peter's, Peter's promise to Jesus is, is broken, isn't it? Peter failed. Peter abandons Jesus, even after promising he wouldn't. It's, it's kind of interesting. Matthew's gospel uh, goes into a, a little bit more uh, detail as he sort of wants to tell Jesus that he's not going to let him down. Um, and, and, and he sort of he, he, he talks about the disciples behind him and says, these guys all might fall away, all these guys, but I will never fall away. You know, so I, you might be talking about the rest of these guys, but I'm your man, Jesus. Everyone else might abandon you, but I'm not. Uh, and here uh, on the shore, uh, Peter runs to the, the Jesus that he said that to, right? He runs to the, to the Jesus that he's sort of kind of monumentally let down, right? Um, and he finds Jesus' uh, love, forgiveness, just free and abounding. So it's uh, no um, surprise then, I guess, that uh, sort of hinting at Peter's earlier promise uh, not to leave Jesus, even if the other disciples did, um, Jesus asked him this question, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Um, but I guess um, he's learned his lesson, hasn't he? He, he, sort of, he drops the, the bravado and he just says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And, and Jesus asks the question three times, uh, and Peter replies three times, I love you, I love you, I love you. Um, even being, being grieved at the third time of asking, I guess, likely recognizing the, the significance of being asked this question three times, having denied him three times. So Jesus forgives, doesn't he? He restores, just as Peter denied three times, he then lets Peter restate his love for him three times. Because Jesus, Jesus was deserted by all his disciples, wasn't he? They all, they all scattered. Um, despite all of them promising not to, that's what they do. They all fail, come up short. Um, I guess in, in the end, when it comes to it, their love for Jesus is just, is just overtaken by a love for themselves, uh, their own lives, their own security. And so, so they run away from Jesus, don't they? But, but Jesus' love doesn't fail. And I mean, he demonstrates that at the cross, doesn't he? Jesus loves us to his death um, because we don't love God, right? Saving us from a love that we don't have. And in our sin, we are just unable to give, right? Uh, and here, after all that, Jesus turns up on the beach and he's, he's making them breakfast for, for, for those guys that, that just left him like that. And even specifically uh, seeking out Peter specifically, despite uh, his three uh, denials on that night. I, and I guess we'd sort of, we just expect it from Jesus, don't we? This kind of forgiveness. But, but uh, forgiveness like this is, is incredible, isn't it? It's amazing. Um, it's like, like the past doesn't, doesn't matter 
is forgotten, which is, uh, I mean, I guess the point, that the, the, the cross pays for it all. Peter, when he, when he first meets Jesus um, earlier in, in, the, 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 um, in John's Gospel, um, Jesus performs this very same miracle. Sorry, earlier in Luke's Gospel, right at the start in Luke 5. He performs this same miracle, right? Casting it on the other side. And when uh, Jesus comes to Peter, Peter tells him to go away. I'm a sinful man. And, you know, you're clearly not. And, and I can't be near you. But, but now... Peter's still sinful, right? And like potentially even more aware of his complete brokenness. Like he's, 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 Jesus isn't just a random guy who's come up and performed a miracle. Jesus is the guy he's served and loved, performed this miracle, and he's denied three times. All of that's true. Peter knows it in his heart. But, but this time, what does he do? He doesn't tell Jesus to go. But, but he, he jumps out of the boat, doesn't he? Swims towards Jesus as Jesus has come to him. Because throughout Jesus' ministry, Peter's come to the point, right, where he now realizes there's, there's nowhere else to go. He, he may have denied Jesus three times. He knows he's failed to love Jesus properly. But now he knows the man Jesus. And he knows Jesus. And he knows one thing, right? He is the Lord, and he is full of love for him, full of a love that cannot fail, unlike his own. So, so, Jesus, so uh, Jesus comes to Peter, and, just, and Peter just comes running to him, right? Jumps out the boat, sure of who Jesus is, sure of the love and forgiveness and restoration that he will find in Jesus' arms. You see, in the, in the deepest, uh, most broken parts of us, in the depravity um, of our human hearts, we too, we've got to run to Jesus like this. You know, we've spent the night in the boat. It's been cold and dark. We feel and know our sin in our hearts. We feel, we feel the unloving hearts we have, the selfish, ungodly, lustful, prideful, hateful hearts that we all possess. All those choices we've made, choices that, that turn us from God and, and definitely not to him. All those denials that, that we're guilty of, right? All those times we, we choose ourselves, not God. I mean, as, as a Christian, like that's the crushing burden of sin that you know, that I know, like, we feel that. The knowledge that we are just not good enough, we're never good enough, we can't love Jesus well enough. And we look over the rails of the boat, right, seeing the dawn break, and Jesus is standing on the shore beckoning us over. Not because those, those things need punishing. He's not standing on the shore like with, I don't know, like a whip ready to give us a good lashing because he wants to punish us. No. He's standing on the beach with our punishment marked on him. On his hands, on his feet, the marks of the cross. All of that sinful burden we carry paid for. 
And, and Jesus stands with, with breakfast ready, right? Love and forgiveness to unburden us of that sin. So we should run to that, right? And, and, and we need to keep reminding ourselves that's what we're running to. That's the Jesus we run to. I mean, you, you just can't stay on the boat, can you? That's, it's just one of the difficulties of living in a Christian life, reminding ourselves and each other that all that sinful burden, all that stuff we carry, and, and that we add to each day, it's, it's all paid for, past, present, future. It's all gone, all dealt with at the cross as Jesus, marked by our sin, stands on the beach. We keep running to Jesus because we trust that that he will welcome us just like he does Peter here. Open arms, unfailing love, forgiveness. And, and how do you see that, this mark of forgiveness and repentance? How do you know your, your heart is listening to this? How do you know that you believe you're forgiven? Well, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me three times? And three times, Peter, uh, Peter says to Jesus, yes, Lord. And three times, Jesus tells him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So I think what Jesus is saying here is, you see forgiveness of your sins and, and true love of Jesus in, in actually quite a physical way in how you treat God's people. Jesus is saying to Peter, you, you denied me, but now in front of your friends here, I'm, I'm putting you back on the team. You're back in the fold, fully forgiven. And because you are, you must love my people, feed them and tend them. And I think um, the calling is, is similar to us too. How do you know Jesus's forgiveness? How do you know Jesus loves you? Well, look around you and have a heart for the people in the church. You, you care for them in a way that you can't explain, in a way that you wouldn't normally be inclined to. You want to serve them, forgive them, love them, point them to Jesus in, in a way that you just wouldn't have thought possible. How can Jesus love Peter this much when Peter denied him so badly, even after promising not to? Humanly, it's just not possible. But that is what Jesus and the cross does, right? It makes that kind of forgiveness possible. And Jesus says to us, relationships here should be marked by a love and a forgiveness like that. We should, in our church family, just see a miraculous ability to love one another, to forgive one another, because that is, that's how Jesus loves us, right? Loving one another and loving uh, Jesus with this kind of love, it's just going to be really difficult. And Jesus warns uh, Peter here in verse 18 that his future is going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult and cross-shaped. And for Peter, he means that in a very literal sense. And that, that's our second point, that we have Christ-shaped futures, right? Read, read what Jesus says to Peter from verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This is 
this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus is saying uh, to Peter, following me and loving me in this world is going to cost you your life. As, uh, as Jesus tells him, God will be, will be glorified in him dying on a cross, which Peter does. Following Jesus costs Peter his life. And it will it'll cost us something too. Living for him with, with this Jesus forgiveness and love is something the world actually hates. The cross reminds the world of, it, of its wickedness, just like it reminds us of our wickedness. But the world really hates to be reminded of its sinfulness. And I, and I guess just like we do, but, but like if you like, the world stays on the boat, doesn't it? And it yells at Jesus on the shore to get lost. And it, and it sees us in the water running towards Jesus. And it hates us for it. Just like the people hated Jesus, just like they're going to hate Peter, the world hates the gospel. You know, it might not cost us in this way, maybe not our lives, but, but it's, it's going to cost. And God, in his wisdom, uses those trials to, to, to grow us, to, to, make us, to make us more like him to rely on his goodness, uh, to keep us humble, to keep us focused on Jesus. But it's, it's important, isn't it, to, to remember that the difficulties we face are not punishment. Even Peter's horrible death was, was not like a punishment from God, was it? Jesus doesn't, doesn't wait at the shore to punish, but to forgive and love us as his. The, the punishment is done, isn't it? That's what the cross is for. Jesus has, has taken all of that. But God uses trials and difficulties to, to shape us, to humble us, and ultimately to glorify himself, right? It's worth remembering those things in our lives. That, that God wants us to live with each other just like Jesus, with this miraculous forgiveness, this miraculous love for one another, that only the spirit at work in our hearts can generate. But at the same time, in order to show that love for one another and display it to the world, uh, God's, God's going to test it, isn't he? He's going to put it on trial in order to shape us and, and grow us. Just think about it. How do you display a miraculous forgiveness without God putting you in situations where we both need to painfully seek and painfully receive forgiveness? How, how can we show a miraculous ability to love one another without God putting us in situations that just make loving one another really, really difficult? And, and how can the, the grace, love, and spirit of God be at work in our hearts without the world in some way hating us? It might not cost us our lives, but you know what, maybe, maybe it costs us some friends. Maybe it costs us a breakdown of family relationships. Maybe it costs you strain in relationships. Maybe it makes work difficult. Cost you promotions, invite ridicule. Might cost you friends at school. Might get you labeled as intolerant, ignorant, homophobic. 
It'll certainly cost you uh, in terms of the freedom in what you want to do and what the world loves doing. You know, getting drunk, having relationships with what you, who you want, uh, love, living for money, uh, living for yourself, living for your living uh, for God and not yourself. Costs, right? It's not it's not what we want to do. It costs, and none of it's easy. But we go through this trouble uh, and difficulty in this life. Just knowing we're at peace with Jesus. Peace with the Lord of all things, in control of all things. We struggle through our Christian lives facing difficulty uh, from the world and from our own hearts. But we do that knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. Knowing that that Jesus is, is standing on the shore, cooking breakfast for his children, the disciples, right? And it's, it's not that we're just at peace with Jesus, but, but we're known by Jesus. We're known by and loved by him in a, in a way that we can never return, in, in, a, in a perfect way, safe, secure, reliable. And that's what we hold on to in times of trouble, right? It's interesting, uh, in verse 21, Peter's clearly kind of concerned by this message, isn't he? Read what it says. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, uh, what about this man? Jesus uh, Jesus said to him, uh, if if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. He can see what Jesus just said, some pretty heavy stuff to Peter. Uh, Peter's thinking, wow, wow, that's that's kind of a heavy burden there, Jesus. What about this guy? What what are you going to say to him? And Jesus says, you know, don't don't worry about him. You follow me. And and that's just like, that's a temptation, isn't it? A real one that we struggle with, just just to compare. We often feel like we carry too much and maybe others not enough. And Christians in the world do, do suffer differently, don't they? I think that the Bible's really, really clear that we all suffer um, if we're truly living for Jesus. But there definitely seems to be a, a difference to that cost. And there'll be a difference to that cost in this room, not just sort of in a global sense. And Jesus just wants us to focus on him. Follow me, he says. You know, don't worry about John. Don't worry if, if other people seem to be suffering less than you. God is choosing to glorify himself in you in the way he chooses. It's not a competition. It's not an excuse for for bitterness, envy. Because ultimately, it's not about us, is it? It's about Jesus doing work in us, and we just need to follow. So, you know, if you think about it, Peter might have felt an envy that Jesus allows John to live a long life, right? But, but as John is left on, on Patmos to die, uh, maybe he kind of felt an envy for Peter's early death. You know, he's been, to, been with the Lord for uh, many years by the time John dies. John's had to see uh, and do battle with the early church heresies, all the, the complex situations you see in the New Testament of church issues. You know, maybe, maybe John's sitting on Patmos thinking, um, maybe dying many years ago, might have been a better place to be. God just grows us as he sees fit, doesn't he? In his perfect understanding. And all for his glory. 
not for not for us it's for him and things are difficult for you in a very uh, specific way that not not everybody will have to bear right relationships health problems sorrows anxiety depression singleness i don't know like badly behaved kids um annoying parents you, you take your pick um jesus loves you individually and he wants god to be to be glorified in you by how you react to the things that life throws at you so as we uh, come to an end what what is what does john want you to know at the end of his book you know he reveals himself at the end doesn't he he's the disciple that jesus loves he's the author at the end in verse 24 this is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and has written these things and we know that his testimony is true well he wants you to know that that jesus is the lord of all that what is written in this book is true it it actually happened jesus is who he said he was and you can have eternal life through through trusting in him that's that's the point of his book. If you just flick over to uh, chapter 20 and verse 30, you can read that. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. But in this last little section, I, I think, you know, obviously he wants us to see that Jesus is, is certainly all those things. But he's all, all those things whilst being our friend. Close, personal, loving, full of a breathtaking forgiveness. And that following him will be hard, but following him will be also be full of of the joy of knowing that the creator and sustainer of the world loves us, like personally loves you, loves me, in a sort of meeting you on the beach, making you breakfast kind of way. And that's, that's amazing, isn't it? What great news, something we can truly rejoice in, and no matter what we face. Let me pray. Lord, we, um, we thank you for the amazing forgiveness we find um, in these pages as we see uh, you welcome Peter with open arms uh, despite his shortcomings, Lord. Help us to remember that that is how you welcome us as we repent of our sins. Um, you're not here to punish us. Um, that has been done at the cross. You're here to receive us like children. Um, and we, we thank you that even though uh, we face trials uh, and difficulties uh, because of that, that we just pray that we keep our eyes on you. And, and the, the picture we have is of you at the beach welcoming your disciples, cooking them breakfast. What an amazing picture of a self-sacrifice serving um, God we serve. Lord, help us to remember that as we go about our daily lives, we pray. Amen.